Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Mikey. How are you today? I'm fine. We haven't talked in such a long time. That's not true. We, Michael. Michael, you had to pretend we're doing a bit for the audience. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. No, we no, had to pretend we haven't not. talked in a week. Here's the thing. We've been drinking. <laughs> I've been drinking. I've been... You're, yeah. Yes. Correct. We have. Also... I didn't hate this episode. I was kind of drinking in preparation for deeply disliking this episode. It really and truly, knowing that there's a James and Eveline plot, <laughs> Evelyn plot line, just like ruins expect. Like, so th- this episode is pretty good. But but knowing that there's a James and Eveline Evelyn plot line in it, like, just ruins. Like any expectation or anything, it just is so, so bad. Um, Evelyn was on my list for girl names. I assume that's not a something you're interested in. Uh, we'll I'm not pregnant. Later, I as long as like Marsh is in her middle name. Yeah, Evelyn Marsh Gray. That's that's <laughs> the name I've dreamed yeah. about since I was a child. This is bullshit. <laughs> okay, um, so episode 19, The Black Widow. Okay. Um, written by Harley Payton and Robert Engels, directed by Caleb Deschanel. I okay, yes, you're right. There is some trash, but in my defense, I was playing Candy Crush when that was happening, so I wasn't paying attention. But the stuff that I did pay attention to was very good. I thought, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like the the previous episode is really polarizing because mm-hmm. it's. A handful of really, really, really good things mixed with the setups for a bunch of really bad things. But you, this episode at least, like you get one scene in Nadine. Mm-hmm. You get, you know, um, you get way too much Evelyn and James. But some of those, like you get the setup of Ben Horn's Civil War. Right. You get a couple, like. Nothing is is prolonged like it was in the last episode. Uh huh. Little Nicky, you get a couple of quick scenes, but right. Oh, I forgot about that. But you do get the single worst moment in all of Twin Peaks. Yeah, man, it was some rough stuff happening. Let's wait till we get there because okay. it's truly, it's so. The fact that the bad. show recovered from this one single shot is. Kind of surprising. It's so bad it wanders into self parody. Absolutely, it's it's an absolute jump the shark moment that it still manages to recover from. Which credit. So we're going to start with the long lady intro as per usual. Again, if you are just watching the streaming um, and don't have it on disc, you won't have access to this necessarily. Um, It is just the log lady speaking directly to camera as a vehicle for Lynch, Um, and they're getting. Less sensical? Uh, I think this one is somehow related to Dead Dog Farm. Okay. Okay. It's, yeah, I mean, it's loose, but this one's about dogs. <laughs> uh, is a dog man's best friend? I had a dog. The dog was large. It ate my garden, all the plants, and much earth. The dog ate so much earth, it died. Its body went back to the earth. I had... I have a memory of this dog. The memory is all that I have of my dog. He was black and white. What the fuck? I think... I think the... Honestly, In it, thinking about it now, the I think the use of a dog is just a reference to the fact that Dead Dog Farm gets introduced in this episode. Sure. But I think the fact of thinking of things in black and white... Sure. Is bad. Mm-hmm. Look, look for the like. This dog died, but the black. Like, I think. It, I think they're trying to tell you again. Yeah, I don't know. It's all very abstract. Yeah. It, <laughs> wow. And you Does that put, make for good audio. Well, you talked over it, so I can't even cut it out. Is the thing. It's perfect. <laughs> BBR, everyone. Just Mikey in was inexplicably went from like a really nice bottle of Pinot Noir to PBR. So, I don't know. If I drink beer after I drink wine, I get extremely drunk. So, good luck with you. I For me, it's more so the other way around. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so, so I might be a little drunk, so don't worry about <laughs> yeah. that. So we are. What up, y'all? Stu- <laughs> Jesus, is that your drink persona? Is somebody who says y'all? I just did. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we start in the Great Northern. Bobby, we didn't see him last episode. May I say he looks real good this episode? Mm-hmm. Bobby enters Ben's office to find the furniture stacked in a bizarre pile as Ben sits in a corner. I like this exchange. Yeah, I really did enjoy this. Bobby asks for so he Bobby runs into Audrey before he gets to the mm-hmm. room, and she, I liked Audrey in this episode as well. I they're they're finding something to do with Audrey, mm-hmm. um, which is good. Like she's the the thing is she's still grounded in the hotel, mm-hmm. so Cooper always goes back there. So you always have a reason to bring Audrey back in. Sure, James, you don't. Mm-hmm. Bobby is tough because. You, now you realize a lot on Shelly, right? And Shelly, we haven't seen in a little while either. Yeah, I miss like, her. there's there's a handful of characters like like that that are hard to find something to do with. Mm-hmm. Audrey, you always get to find something to do with because she's grounded in the hotel, and we always have to go back to the hotel. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Bobby asks uh, Ben for a job. Um, and Ben tells him to follow and photograph Hank Jennings. I, I like the, the whole exchange about the where he's talking about how the tower, and he's like, you look at this this big tower, and it's piercing the clouds, and what do you ask yourself? And and the, you can just see Bobby's, like... Wheels turning? Yeah, in, in his brain, he's oh, like, And then Ben Horn's just like, who's in the penthouse? Who's up top? Yeah. How'd they get there? Who is it and why? And he's like, yeah, I'm that guy. Like, it's just a great... Yeah, Bobby Just has, play into the fact that you're going insane and I'm going to try to capitalize Yeah, Bobby on. has wandered in on a mental break and is just oh, trying okay. to, like, yeah. <laughs> like kind yeah. of pad the corners of, like, just don't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't hurt me. And we'll but get also, if this. I can get something from it in the meantime, right. I'll take it. Yeah. Um... So he leaves, and then we see Lana Milford, who, God, didn't even get named in the last episode by she us. She did. She, she's mean. Not by us. Uh, I couldn't like, remember her name offhand, but yeah. And it wasn't in this uh, yeah. the summary that I use. Um, she yeah. runs shrieking down the Milford. hall. Huh? Lana Budding Milford. Is, her maiden name is Budding. I see. Um, she runs shrieking down the hallway. Um, at the station house... Cooper meets with Irene Littlehorse, a realtor, about cottages on the lake. That's a name I didn't... I don't know if that's ever named. Yeah, um, I like it. She's a person of color. Also, she's not a skinny person. She might be, like, one of the few non, like, exceptionally fit people in this. Hmm. It's a thing I've noticed lately. Maybe as I've gotten chubbier, I've noticed that there are few chubby people. Well, and, and it's not played to be... Exactly. The joke isn't that she's fat. Yeah. Um... He says he wants to visit Dead Dog Farm. Yeah, they do a a whole. He's looking. He's looking at property. This is this is the flannel Cooper era. Oh yeah, he's for the first time wearing something other than his suit and tie, suit and tie. or pajamas. Mm-hmm. Um, and he or yeah or his. Uh, Tank top and uh, boxer shorts and yeah. sock stirrups. Yeah. Um, but he is going out and he's wearing a flannel shirt, cargo pants, uh-huh. and he's thinking about settling down in Twin Peaks somewhere. Yeah. So he's looking at real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and she asks him, which one do you want to see, this one or this one? Uh-huh. And he flips a coin and the coin lands on some third option. And he's like, what is this? And she goes, Wait. oh, I didn't realize that one snuck in there. That's a place called Dead Dog Farm. That hasn't been shown for a long time. Wait, I thought when he flipped a coin, it was, do I want A or B? How it did... is. So and it, it physically la- landed on the It landed paper? and rolled to oh, I see. another card with this picture. And he's like, Wait, what's this one? I didn't see this one. You didn't tell me about this one. Gotcha. And that was this Dead Dog Farm place. Gotcha. Um, Dick visits Lucy and meets with Andy and a caseworker about Nikki. Caseworkers, Molly Shannon. Um, That's a fun little. uh, I love Molly Shannon. She's She's the best. Um, The caseworker. So they're talking about Nikki, who is this boy that ostensibly Dick is not fostering, but just sort of spending time with. It's a big brother. Okay. Program that they didn't use the same name. They called it. 
Happy Helping Hands or something like that. Okay. Uh, but it's basically the big brother, big sister organization that right. he's fostering to some extent. Uh, the caseworker says Nikki's been surrounded by trouble his whole life, that he's been in several homes, that his parents died under mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a good little jab in that scene of when caseworker says Nikki is an orphan, and Andy's like, "Did his oh. what happened? Did his parents die?" And then Dick's yeah. got a nice little like, "Oh, way to de- yeah, good deduction or yeah, whatever." Great, great deduction. You're a police officer. You're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, it's like there's some good ribbing. This is a decent scene in an otherwise yeah. Poor story arc. Right. Like, Uh, that's what's so rough is that through this episode starting last week and moving to the next four or five episodes, there's some terrible story arcs that mm -hmm. go through here that it overshadows the great moments. And there are some great moments. Yeah, some very good moments. Even, like, moments like this that, like, this isn't totally – this is a fully entertaining scene. Molly Shannon, which who knew she was going to go on to be noteworthy, um, it's a great it's a great sequence. There's some fun ribbing between you know Dick and Andy, and I enjoy it. Also, drastically underused. Lucy's back, but they barely she use barely her, spoke. so I don't know what that's about. Yeah, I would love to look into that. Um, I don't know if she was off doing another project or yeah. what. I don't know why she was gone last week. Right. Which, it all seems very odd. It, it does seem very odd. And it's it seems as though she should have, like, it was stories about her that she right. just wasn't present for. It's right. not like, like, Shelly just hasn't been part of the conversation sure. for a couple of weeks and she's gone. Um, yeah, it seems like if you couldn't get Lucy. Just skip that Don't bring for a in Dick or Andy either. Yeah. Like, or... Don't have them involved in this whole little Nikki thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, Harry takes Andy to the Great Northern. They find that Dougie is dead. Uh, Hayward, Doc Hayward's back. He says it looks like natural causes. He posits a heart attack. Um, Milford is surrounded by books on on sexual performance and a box of toys. And Dwayne enters and weeps. Could you help me with that sentence? They've they found like a book on the Kama Sutra and things like that. Wait, who's Milf Milford? Du- Dwayne and Doug Milford. Those are the brothers. Oh, so Dwayne is okay, gotcha. So Dougie is the one who died. Dwayne is the brother the one who's a <laughs> that guy. So Dougie is surrounded by books on sexual performance yeah. and a box of toys. And that's when Dwayne gotcha. realizes okay. Oh, this young promiscuous woman yeah. killed him via Sex or witchcraft, or there exactly. is a line I really like. I don't know if it's this scene, but it's, he, it's in the the the, the later scene. The with, la- okay, uh, with um, uh, he so but Doc Hayward and Harold Truman in the office because Dwayne has full on be uh, accused Lana, the now widow, of being a gold digger, and so his and the fact that he 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 thinks so, Dwayne thinks. Lana is marrying Dougie only to get his money and they get married and the wedding night he dies sure. is only proving his point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Dwayne who's Dwayne's the other brother. Dougie and Dwayne? Dougie and Dwayne. Okay. Dougie's I don't know why those dead. are really hard for me. Um, he Dwayne scolds Lana on his way out, and Lana tells Hawk about her history with men having tragic accidents when she was intimate with them. I this 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 part rubbed me the wrong way, and all of it, all of it is dog shit. Okay, I, I'm glad it's all, not just Lana. Me. Lana is a forced character. She the problem with her is not just that she's a dumb character and doing dumb things and whatever. She makes other characters around her act out of character in a terrible way. Mm-hmm. The the, fa- the way, like, Hawk is... Like, the way everyone's so infatuated. Like, maybe Dick, Dick Tremaine would fall for that. That's not Harry Truman. Right. That's, that's certainly not Doc Hayward right. or Hawk. 
these this isn't that's not who they are this is i don't think we've gotten to the part where everybody's we haven't but this is setting it all up the way hawk is infatuated with her while he's while she's telling this story yes yeah. so and like and then he's trying to like show off he leans against the door uh-huh. and then the door opens and he falls in it's yeah. just it's her character is not grounded in anything no and there's i i I don't know it off the top of my head but just like the way she describes like the bad things that happen to men and she blames herself like sucks for me like it it just isn't great yeah um we cut to the high school oh also wasn't there a black guy in one of these scenes didn't we yell that or is that later we're getting really excited about the people Uh, of color represented on the show (laughs) i don't remember his name but the colonel Yes, is uh, a black man, and yes. I don't know if we've gotten to that scene yet or not. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, I, we may. They you're may right because we have the wrestling coach. Um, so it's the same who, guy we saw last. I night. love that scene. Boys, there's a story about a great football coach whose name escapes me at this time, who was dead set against having any black players on his team until somebody brought him the finest black halfback anyone had ever seen. And when what's-his-name saw him run 50 yards and no one lay a hand on him, he shouted, look at that Indian go. That coach accepted that athlete's desire to compete. Nadine. And today, this story applies to this woman's, this young girl's right to compete in addition to it being her moral and constitutional right. This scene... His whole pep talk, inspirational speech about there was once a black coach, or there was once a coach who they tried to bring a black guy. I don't remember the coach's yeah. name. And, like, tells this story so emphatically but can't remember anybody It just reeks of gym teacher. It's, it's so, so hard. Of it's like, so good. I, it reminds me of, like... Just somebody who doesn't have anything to say, but they know if they use a certain tone of voice, mm-hmm. it sounds inspirational. And the way he dismisses <laughs> the, like, and he brought, I can't remember his name at this time, but yeah. this is what he said. And then the guy came in, and, and I don't remember who the guy was, but the guy ran 50 yards yeah. and didn't, like. And didn't he say, and the guy said, Coach, what's his name? Blah, blah, blah. Like, he just, just, just move on. It's just, clearly a made-up story yeah i mean it, it, honestly that sounds like a real story though like, sure or like a story he read the headline once exactly and- <laughs> it's, he just doesn't remember and it's um, i think just delightful i actually like to say i know i have come out in uh anti-strong nadine this this bit I really liked the whole wrestling scene the whole yeah. wrestling scene so um with, with who your favorite Mike character, Nelson, Mike Nelson, which is not written in front of me. I just knew that off the top of my head. Um, so the coach does his whole uh, race as outsider, and then he's like, "Just like, here's a forty-year-old human woman who's going to be <laughs> on our wrestling, our high like, school wrestling like, team." Represented in this story is this woman. I mean, young girl. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's really good. It's great, and his delivery is like, like. Such an understated performance in this Very. Show. I, I have no idea who that guy is. Yeah, I really liked him, he's, though. He's in yeah, probably four or five episodes His of the show. His name's Buck Wingate. He's great. He's great. He's very good. I liked him a whole lot. Okay, so he brings Nadine in to wrestle against Mike as an exhibition. I don't know what's going like on just there. to show off. Like how strong she is. Like like in his story, you're you're prejudging her as someone who can't do this. Right. Watch how good she's going to be. And so it's Mike who is wearing my favorite outfit of all time. He's wearing like a white cotton t-shirt and then a gray sweatshirt with the sleeves cut off, but they're cut off like Oh, that was that was a big 80s thing. No, 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 but the way it was cut off like two inches below yeah. where the arm ended, and so it just looked like he had shoulder pads on. That was very and then, popular. But I feel like I never see it with the t-shirt under it. I always thought it was just like just wearing the sweatshirt. Uh, maybe but, because it just had two blousey but honestly, sleeves. Like, sweatshirts on. were made that way. Oh no, 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 that I no, I understand that. But just he also like, was wearing sweat shorts on top of sweatpants. Oh, I missed that part. So they bring the two of them into the mat and they start grappling, and so they're. <laughs> I really 
like Giles made you rewind it because he is trying to explain to her what's going on in wrestling mm-hmm. and she's trying to ask him out <laughs> but they're just both muttering to each other <laughs> so it's not even like they're talking yeah. loud it, and you can't really understand yeah. most of what either yeah. of them said but you just hear like, okay so this is this is the headlock and this is what we're doing here and she's like I would really like it if you wanted to go out with me I'm going to be free tomorrow and they both speak in that same like yeah. tone and no speed one, no one wants the rest of the people right. watching to hear what they're talking about. It was really good. And then at one point she just like picks them up and I fell but, for it because it looked really real to me. But that's my point is like when you were saying, you said this last week about how you're like, I just hate this entire storyline. I'm like, there's moments like this yeah. that are like, this is just cute. It is very This is fun cute. and this is silly and I don't mind. Like, yeah, it's absurd and it doesn't really fit mm. and whatever, but I enjoy it because it's just silly and fun. Yeah. Which is why I'm willing to forgive the story arc as a whole. Sure. Ugh. Um, so later, Mike complains to Donna about Nadine and her crush on him. I think he asks her to pretend she's his girlfriend still. Yeah, and, and he's like, got his like neck all twisted. Oh yeah, because like he's been in her, like, him He's up. like, you got to do something because. And and the fact he keeps he keeps referring to her as Mrs. Hurley, which I think which is, is delightful. Which is a good also. bit. Like, a very yeah. especially considering that it's not like. Ed and Nadine have a kid in that in school, mm-hmm. Just, sort of, but yeah, I mean, but in James, but. yeah. Okay, so we go to Dead Dog Farm. Farm. Uh, Cooper and Irene uh, visit the lake house. She shares a legend that the best people and the worst people are drawn to Dead Dog because they can feel its pain. N- are drawn to a dead dog. That's why it's named Dead Dog. Drawn to. Uh, oh, Not I'm sorry. Drawn that to was the location Dead Dog Farm. They're, the best people and the worst people are drawn to a dead dog. Okay, that if, was... If, if somebody were to randomly see a dead dog on the side of the road, the best people are drawn to it and the worst people are drawn to it. Most people are in the middle where they don't know what to do and whatever. Oh, the, okay. The worst people are the ones who are like, fuck yeah, dead dog. The best people are the ones who are going to try to help it. Okay. And that most was people live in the middle. Definitely me reading that wrong because dead dog isn't even capitalized. Right. I, a typo. Done to a dead dog. Yeah, this okay. is, And that's why, like, like, I think that's a great kind of a almost a throwaway line that i think is a beautiful sentiment Uh i think that's a great way of putting all of twin peaks and humanity Mm -hmm. into a box of sorts right Um, but i i think that's a just a great line of dialogue that Mm -hmm. is kind of overlooked that that is a nice thing i think that twin peaks does is when they bring in bit players, they frequently give them really good monologues or mm-hmm. really good lines. Mm-hmm. They don't just use them as like warm bodies. Hey, Johnny. Like, literally, what are you even barking at? To be fair, she uh-huh. might just be upset that we're talking about dead dogs. That's a good point. Irene says no one has looked at the property in the last year, but Cooper finds tracks from three vehicles. And he, like, names them. A luxury sedan, a... Yeah, like a, a, Jeep, a Jeep, a luxury sedan, and a four-wheeler or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, so they get to the door, realize it's not locked, it's open. Cooper believes that there's been a meeting there in the past few hours. There is baby laxative in the sink. A gr- great bit, though. Like... The idea of why would they leave this evidence behind? Oh, they tried to flush it and realized there's no fucking running water. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, like, yes, that's yes, a yes. great realistic approach to why someone would have this secret meeting in mm-hmm. a place that's kind of off the books. Right. And leave a shitload of evidence behind because, oh, we tried to flush it and right. realized shit. There's nothing to be done about it. Yeah. Um, there's baby laxative in the sink and cocaine on a chair. And Cooper says that they're going to notify the sheriff. Okay, so we get to the Dick and little Nicky scene. Uh, Dick. Is this the car? Uh-huh. Fuck. Dick sits on the road reading directions for changing a flat tire as Nicky. Which is a decent bit. That, that, that Dick, Dick has Jermaine no idea. Has, like, he's got the owner's manual yeah. out. And he's reading it, like, image by image, uh-huh. step by step. I have no idea how mm-hmm. to change a tire, which I think is... Yeah. Um, Nikki plays with the controls. <laughs> the steering wheel. He's turning the wheel back and forth. The controls is a oh, weird way to okay. put that. But he's turning the wheel back and forth, which is why... 
Dick is like, can you please stop? I'm trying to change this tire yeah. and you're turning the wheel on me and I, you yeah. can't do that. Uh, so the car falls off the jack and Nikki runs to hug Dick. So this happens. So, okay. So little Nikki's already out of the car at this point and okay. he's standing with his back to him. And then he kind to of. Dick. Yeah. And then he looks over his shoulder and then they kick in the ominous Twin Peaks music uh-huh. and then the car drops, which. Are is- we supposed to think that little Nikki is magic? That's exactly the the fu- that's why I hate little Nikki. <laughs> if they played on this idea that like oh he's just surrounded by calamity, yeah, great. Or but, he's like a demon child who has murdered all the adults who have tried to help him. It's just so, it's just so fucking dumb. And don't don't dignify it with one of the most ominous Twin Peaks scenes that are like. That's like what plays when Leland kills, like right, right before Leland kills Maddie. Right. Like don't, don't fucking, don't correlate those two fucking sure. things, man. One is incredible, and the other one is absolute trash. <laughs> like don't, don't, don't link those together with that theme, man. Man, uh, the car falls off the jack. Nikki runs to hug Dick and asks him not to die. Uh, Harry introduces Colonel Riley. Oh, here he is. Uh, who's heading the investigation to Major Briggs' disappearance. So this is our second he's, black guy yeah. in one episode. He's a great character. Yeah. His whole bit, mm-hmm. I think, is wonderful. And I absolutely forget about it until he comes on screen every single yeah, time. Yeah, I was shocked when I saw him. I've seen, you know, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 times I've seen Twin Peaks or uh-huh. whatever. Um, I legitimately forget about him until he shows up every single time. And then it's like a nice, pleasant surprise. It is, because (laughs) I love his whole setup. I love the way he talks about Briggs. I love the way he boosts Briggs' importance. Like, Mm -hmm. I think Major Briggs, and they revisit this a little bit in season three. They definitely visit it in the Secret History of Twin Peaks book. Mm -hmm. Major Briggs is a huge character in this story. That for some reason kind of just gets forgotten about. No, it's true. It's I, I feel like we're it not for you actively saying how much you liked Briggs. I don't know if I I don't know if he'd be like a sticky enough character mm-hmm. that would stay mm-hmm. with me. Um, Cooper says that he heard an owl before Briggs disappeared, and Riley explains that the message for Cooper that the message for Cooper that Briggs delivered originated in nearby woods, not deep space. Oh, okay, you so want to talk into that? Yeah, so this is the the message that he found in the season two premiere where he's like, oh, the owls are not what they seem. Also, and then Cooper's like, why did you bring this to me? And he said, because later down in this space garbage right. is Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. Um, Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, and then okay. the owls are out. And then, so now what they're saying is that image didn't actually come from space. Uh-huh. It was sent out from these woods. We don't know who the recipient was supposed to be. Okay. Okay. I got it. Um, he's not sure where the message was sent to and that Briggs' disappearance has major implications for national security. M- major implications. Ma- he says it has major implications more than national security. Oh. Okay. So we're talking about something global. Sure. Okay. Ready to skim through some James and Evelyn stuff? James starts the Jaguar's engine. Evelyn gets in the car with him. James asks if she's afraid of her husband and kisses her. Jeffrey arrives home. Any thoughts? Did we already... Did we skip over the scene where, like, Malcolm does his whole monologue? Um. About who he is and how he's... Her brother and... Because this is the scene where James confronts Emil, Evelyn about... No, Matthew he, comes up a little bit later. But there's a scene... like It's like the second or third scene in the episode. Where Malcolm talks to James about... Oh, I skipped that. I'm sorry. Yeah, Malcolm yeah, okay. introduces himself to James as Evelyn's Jesus, brother saying... We're skipping it even in the recaps. <laughs> saying that he works for her and her husband. He says that yeah. Jeffrey beats Evelyn once every week or so and no one can stop him. Sorry, yeah. that's my bad. And then that's... in this scene is when they get that going and then James kind of confronts her about it. And then Mr. Marsh comes home. Gotcha. Doesn't matter. It's all garbage. Has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> Back to the hotel. But that's what happened. Um, Audrey teases Bobby about his new job and suggests they do business together and enters her secret hallway. Which 
it's the most obvious door ever. <laughs> it's just shorter than most doors. Yeah. Like a man could never it like there, a secret thing, stoop. but like it's pretty blatantly a, se- a a doorway of sorts. Right. It's just a small doorway. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um. Okay, so Bobby walks into Ben's office, and here we have entered Civil War era Ben. Yeah, it's not totally all encompassing yet. No, we're we're we just opened the door to that. He's yeah, he's got some model playground set up mm-hmm. or battleground set up. Then he's got these little figurines that he's placing in the right position and whatnot. He's got the big uh, the Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. Ooh. You know, Washington is a state that famously fought for the South in the Civil well, War. Well, but that's what's weird. He's he's not only obsessed with the Civil War, he's obsessed with the Civil War from, from the, the South, South side. He's playing South side. the South the South <laughs> yeah. side of the Civil War. I just watched the episode of Thirty Rock that Paul Giamatti was in. That he says, like, in his spare time, he's a Civil War reenactor. And he, like, shows, he's like, uh, uh, death to Lincoln! <laughs> and Liz goes, oh, a seven gentleman, because she's trying to impress him. But Paul Giamatti's performance in that episode is maybe the most I, underrated performance of his storied career. I do, it's so I do good. love when, like, that's the one thing that 30 Rock did well, too, I think, is legitimate mainstream actors who like you don't think would do television uh-huh. or like and not yeah. like slapstick television comedies I'll, I'll do a couple of episodes uh-huh. like I'll, yeah Matt yeah. Damon will have a story arc <laughs> Paul Giamatti will have a story arc Paul Giamatti arc. was John Adams and he's yeah, like yeah. yeah I can be a racist film editor who goes to Islanders hockey fantasy camp every year yeah anyway <laughs> also he has the best I might cut this out he has the best line she's like oh are you a good ice skater he's like I can't skate backwards, but yeah, <laughs> Just, it's good. Um, this like, so there's, okay. I, at some point, I think you and I should take the five or six terrible story arcs, mm-hmm. rank them. I think that would just be fun. I think that'd be super But fun. one of them is the Ben Horn Civil War storyline. Mm-hmm. This one feels the most earned. Me. Here's the thing. It's ridiculous, but like I could see somebody in a full-on nervous breakdown oh, doing something like totally. just getting obsessive about something ridiculous. Well, like I, I I think it's also a thing that like rich people do is like when they have a nervous breakdown, they're like, "Well, I guess I'm gonna buy an entire reenactment well, of the, the Civil War, that's and the this thing is too. my He's life got now." This in, like entire expensive battleground. Thing. He's got official Civil War garb. He's got the big Confederate flag. Yeah, like. He's committed to this. Right, right. It's wild. Uh, okay, so uh, we cut to Pete and Catherine who pop a bottle of champagne. Pete quotes a poem. He complains about brunch too, if I recall correctly. Wine goes in the mouth is the start of that, which, which I love. Yeah, very good. Uh, Catherine and... Oh, oh my God, the Josie made storyline. The thing is, it's not even a storyline. Honestly, I generally forget that as, as much as I like Catherine, especially the act, like the performance of it, I forget she's in the second season beyond Tajimura. Like, because yeah. it, it stops being relevant or interesting. Because she gets wrapped up in the whole Andrew Thomas Eckert thing. Yeah. And all of that is dumb, too. Like, yeah, because it's like, all. That's, what's funny is, like, when I talk about the bad storylines. I, I even forget about that because it's like new characters. Mm-hmm. It's like new characters have a storyline. I was like, I don't care about that. Like, oh, James get wrapped up in this storyline. Josie gets wrapped up in this storyline. Ben Horn gets wrapped up in this storyline. Nadine gets wrapped up in this storyline. Here's two new characters doing an entirely other storyline. And you're like, I, who? Yeah, why? Well, well, I, I don't care. I have too many people already yeah. to juggle. Um, Catherine instructs Josie on her duties as their maid. Um, okay, so we cut Don't back. Don't forget to wear your stupid little hat. <sighs> so we cut back to, I think, the Great Northern, where Cooper um, had his chess response to Earl printed in the personal column of the paper. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, 
presumably. So I I think so. I loved this shot. I thought he looked very handsome. I oh, thought the lighting the, looked yeah, really we're good. Yeah, talking to Diane. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Earl was responded. So he's uh, playing this game of chess with his former partner who lost his mind at some point, right? Is that yes. sort of his... And he was... We slowly get more and more information about how Cooper is involved. Right. Like, there was a partner, there was a woman they loved. They were both involved. Uh, something happened. Cooper got injured mm-hmm. in some way. I think they I think they say he got stabbed. I don't recall. I don't remember that. Um and then, you know, oh, and, and Wintermorrow lost his mind. And they, so they're little by little giving you hints as to this whole backstory. Right. Um, so Earl responded a date before the paper came out, went out, anticipating Cooper's move. Um, sorry, they just completely skip over the fact that Denise shows up. Oh, Audrey visits him and is, Okay. I thought Denise was there before Audrey got there, but I'm no. Wrong. So he's doing the. It starts on the him and Diane talking. He sees the paper, then Audrey comes in, then Denise. Comes okay. In. Um. So this paragraph doesn't really go into that scene, which is too bad because I really liked it. This is yeah one I, of my favorite scenes. So this Den- this whole dynamic and everything. I think the way they tiptoe around things, but. But give you enough, yeah. I think is really, really well done. I did good, didn't I? Audrey, you did better than good. You may have saved my life. Good. So that makes us even now, right? Sorry, am I interrupting something? Special Agent Denise Bryson, Drug Enforcement Agency. This is a drug friend of mine, Audrey Horn. They have women agents? More or less. Audrey, if you'll excuse us. Agency business. I, I thought you were suspended. I am. Thanks again. So Cooper introduces Audrey to Denise and Audrey's immediate reaction isn't like why you know this is a very tall woman or whatever it is they allow women in the FBI and like she has this Oh my God! This light in her women eye. Can, women can be agents. I think is what she says. Which they let women be agents or something like that. Which like this was and, and then and then he more or less yeah <laughs> like it's a it's just like I don't want to get into yeah, it. Yeah, you don't but care. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, you're right. And and also they do like yeah. you're naive enough to like of, of course there's women who are agents. Right. Like it's oh, it's sweet. I like it a whole lot. It's great. And, um, and the way he, this is my good friend Audrey, this is DEA agent mm-hmm. Denise Bryson, and you think there's going to be something weird, and then there's not, except for the fact that, like, Audrey gets jealous. Yeah. And then kisses Cooper on the way out. Ugh. Yeah. But well, it's, it's funny, because we're all it's on, it, we're it, it, so... It seems like a childish but honest thing to yeah. do. We're also primed for everybody to be either hateful or make a joke out of trans people. Mm-hmm. That it's it adds this weird tension to this scene. I swear to fucking God, I'm going to murder our dog. Dead dog townhouse, more like. We're cutting this out, right? I don't know. I thought that was a pretty good joke. So, <laughs> no, but it's... Yeah, you, you, so, you're right. Everything is primed for a joke that never really happens. Mm-hmm. And, and so it adds a layer of tension to the scene that... Watching this in 1990 or 91, I don't remember when it this aired. It aired in January 91. Okay. So 1991, like... 
a world of different and we're still primed for the joke that doesn't happen. Yep. So the fact that this is 30 years ago. And I'm, I'm, I, I guess it says a lot about Lynch about the team he put together because it's not like Lynch wrote this right story. There's, and uh, there's a thing I saw recently too about Mark Frost talking about the unsung hero of Twin Peaks is Harley Payton. Yeah. Who's a producer. He wrote a lot of the work. He's an incredible mind behind this original series and doesn't get credit. It's Lynch gets 90% of the credit. Frost gets 9% of the credit. And a few other people get 1%. Like, that's kind of the breakdown, which isn't fair, but... Yeah, that's how it happens. Especially in television, you can't... Um, But Harley Payton is one of those that does not get nearly the credit he deserves. And he's a very, very active player all the way through. Right. Um, Audrey kisses Cooper on her way out. Like, full on kisses him on the mouth. Yeah. In a way that I think made me and Cooper equally uncomfortable. Right. Um. And, you know, I didn't even put that together, that she was, like, marking her territory. Oh, absolutely. Which I, I did not. It's just a super childish, like, yeah. I was here first, you know. Yeah. Even though you're 20 years older exactly. than me. Exactly. <laughs> but if that's, ex- yeah. Um, and then and then Denise just kind of thinks it's funny. Oh, to- well, okay. <laughs> and I love, yeah. Uh, okay, I want to do this. So Cooper shows Denise the, the photographs of Jean-Hank er- Ernie, not Emmy, <laughs> and King. And Cooper gives Denise a sample of the cocaine that he found at in Dead Dog Farm. Right. Okay. <laughs> More basically evidence that will exonerate Cooper from the Wrong crime good. he's being accused of. What I want to talk about is immediately Denise is like, "Let's talk about the important shit." Yeah, you've been suspended from the FBI, but how old is she? <laughs> yeah. Which was the correct question. Yeah. yeah, and like does it with this smile on his face. It, it's, face, it's, the whatever, whole thing yeah. is wry. Like, it's not, it's, he's not accusatory. She's not accusatory. So her photographs of an abandoned property on the outskirts of town. Jean Renault, Hank Jennings, Norma Jennings' stepfather, Sergeant King, mounted police. They were at the scene earlier today. In the kitchen, I found traces of cocaine and the baby laxative used to step it out. I think if you compare this, which was taken from the farm with the stuff found in my automobile, you'll find it'd be a match. That's good news, Coop. Yeah. Now, can we talk about something more important? Exactly how old is that girl? Denise, I would assume you're no longer interested in girls. Coop, I may be wearing a dress, but I still pull my panties on one leg at a time, if you know what I mean. Not really. Um, and then and, they and have, he's like, I would have thought you wouldn't have been interested anymore. Which is a fun commentary on how gender and sexuality are not necessarily yeah. linked. And, you know, it's if you're a, a straight bit, guy, but, then, but then you're the joke, maybe a lesbian and trans But woman. then the joke is, Denise says, I put my panties on one leg at a time. I may, yeah, I may dress as a, I, I may be a woman, but I put my legs, yeah, my panties on one leg at a time, which is. But the point being, there's. Some gender or yeah, whatever joke being made there that I don't. But it's coming from Denise. Yes, and that makes all the fucking difference. Yes. Do you like? Yeah, I just don't like that line because I did not understand what joke she was trying to make. I think it's just. Because it, usually when... It feels like something somebody would honestly say in a moment where they're trying to make a joke but haven't really thought it out. Yeah, I get... Because usually they're when you say, silly. like, I put my pants on one leg at a time is more of like, hey, I'm, you know, I may be a billionaire, but I put my pants on one leg at a time. I, I rarely hear it as, like, a gendered thing. Well, she and says, you, I put my panties on no, one I, leg at Yes, a time. I understand. Okay. I heard that. I just don't... It's not an... The way she says it sounds like it's a joke about like heterosexuality or or being into women, because like the expression, like I said, the yeah. expression of "I put my pants on" is supposed to be like, "Oh, I'm humble. I'm the same as you." Not sure. I fuck women <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I honestly, I I took it as a very. I I I think it is 
an unsaid pansexuality thing. Oh, okay. I don't care. Huh. I I don't care. I think sex is sex. Sexuality is fun. I think all of this is like I'm like you, but fucking whatever, man. If someone's down to party, like I think the whole thing is just Denise is different, mm-hmm. and Denise does what Denise does. But more importantly, Denise is comfortable with Denise, mm-hmm. and that's what really matters. Like that's kind of the the vibe I get. Yeah. Back to the Double Art Diner. Oh, Big Ed and Norma. Big Ed. You gonna eat that pie or just push it around in my china? I guess they ain't all that hungry. Wanna talk about it? Oh, you don't wanna hear my problems. We used to talk about everything. We can still talk, Ed. You remember when we were kids, all those plans we made? It was like, uh, we were just waiting around for our lives to begin, planning all that stuff we'd do when we did. Somehow, life starts before you know it. Suddenly you're halfway through living it and all those plans, they just don't mean a damn thing. Living my life, Norma, I just don't like it much. Ed tells Norma he feels like life happened in spite of his plans. He doesn't like the way it turns out. They have this thing. I don't remember who says it, but like, you used to tell me everything. And they're like, it's different. And they just, they're Mm -hmm. soulmates. And they're both in these terrible marriages. And I love them so much. And And he has these like puppy dog eyes that just make me want to give him a hug. And he always gets the best theme too. It's just this sweet like... Just love these people, will you? Like, like they're just yeah. they're like platonic. It's it's unrequited love. Oh, it's almost so every sad. time they're together. Like, I I typically when it comes to mo- like a lot of movies, TV, or whatever, people are always like, oh, I just wish they would have got together. I was oh, Mikey especially- just learned about the term shipping, <laughs> and that's what, like. Oh. We ship Nadine and yeah. or, uh, Norma and Big Ed. But it's, it happens especially in t- more in TV more than movies because movies are just a short time to evolve a character arc. Uh-huh. But as stories go on, they end up, oh, should we get this person together with this person? Should we get this person together with this person? Right. And I, it, dri- it drives me nuts. I never, I never care to get people together. I like if I like two characters, I, I like them independently of each other. Very rarely do I like root for people to get together. Mm, I mean, yeah, I, yes, I, but that's so not it's me. like I, it's one of those things that it just. I very rarely root for people to. Oh, I I like I love Cooper and I love Audrey. Mm-hmm. I wish they would get together. No, I love Cooper and I love Audrey. I absolutely do not want them together. Sure, Ed and Norma. Oh, for fuck's sake, get together. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like the only two people in the world I want to see together. Yep. Yeah, you're shipping them, Michael. Ugh, so good. Hank notices them holding hands. Um, okay, here we go. Dick returns to the station house and tells Andy that he thinks Nikki's the devil. And then what happens, Michael? Oh, for fuck's sake. The, so this is what we were teasing or whatever at yeah. the beginning of the episode of... Andy looks off into space and superimposed on top of Andy's forehead is little Nikki dressed as a devil. And it's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in all of television ever. The fact that they talk about happy days dies because Fonzie jumped the shark. This absolutely should have been the jump the shark moment for Twin Peaks. And there should be no fucking reason why anybody tuned in after this because it's the dumbest goddamn thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely absurd. Very dumb. Very and dumb, it very doesn't bad. fit the aesthetic of this show. Mm-mm. It has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem, right? Like, there has never been any graphic like that it, before. Except right. for maybe, like, at some point there's an owl that sort of melds into... Somebody's Bob's face. face. Bob's face. 
Yeah, but that's but that's, but that's an, in a vision of it's just so honestly if they had done like a cutaway for a second of like ha 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 little Nikki burning and and then cut back to Andy yeah of like oh showing what he's thinking right okay I might forgive that this like thought bubble thing yeah. is just absolute it's dog so shit so dumb it's lazy it's bad like it's like a very like seventies thing yeah honestly yes it's it's just terrible it's extremely bad it's in my opinion the hands down the worst moment of all of Twin Peaks yeah and the fact that Twin Peaks recovers from it just shows you how good Twin Peaks is because no show should be able to recover from that they should have just saw that and like well you guys are cancelled but you know that yeah exactly exactly (laughs) Harry meets Dwayne and Hayward and Doc Hayward to tell mm. Harry meets with Dwayne and Hayward and tells Dwayne that Dougie died of natural causes, no foul play. However, Did you test him for witchcraft. Did you test for witchcraft? <laughs> His, I do love Dwayne's little like <laughs> laugh that he does. I do genuinely enjoy that. I find it really entertaining. Uh, Thank you, Daddy. That's a lot what it sounds like. Uh, however, Dwayne says he wants to press charges and that Lana killed Dougie with sex. Which is really the same plot I, as Body of Evidence, which we watched fairly right. recently. And um, yeah, this is a I lot, think Madonna been, did it. I mean, there's been a lot of comparisons between Twin Peaks and Body of Evidence oh on a regular God. basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, uh, they always say that, uh, especially when Dale Cooper is the Madonna of primetime soap operas. Uh huh, uh huh, uh-huh. And Madonna is the Dale Cooper of. Uh, Reinventing herself? I was going to say, like, erotic sex thrillers, but right, same thing. Same yeah, thing. same thing. Same thing. Uh, um, <laughs> no, but I, so the, in this scene, I honestly don't know if, if it's Warren Frost breaking as an actor or just his character choice, but during this whole scene where Dwayne is going off about, well, did you, did you test her for witchcraft? <laughs> Doing all this, like, <sighs> Warren Frost has his hand over his mouth. Mm-hmm. It, Warren Frost is Duck Hayward. Has his hand over his mouth, and he's just like trying not to laugh. And like, and and Truman gives like does a, a side eye glance up to Hayward uh-huh. every once in a while in this way of like, yeah, I know this is ridiculous, but we just have to talk him off the ledge for now. Yeah. And but that performance by Warren Frost, I think, is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't know if it's Warren Frost trying to keep his shit together or if it's a character choice sure. to, like, this guy is just wild. So Dwayne insists that she'll not get any of Dougie's money. A hawk tries to comfort Lana, and this is the weird part that, like, all of the men immediately yeah. fall in love with Lana, which, like, this is not a judgment on the actress or whatever. It's just a really weird moment because it's... A woman they have seen many times before. Mm-hmm. They went to her wedding, mm-hmm. and now she's widow. And it's like they were literally cast under a spell of just like mm-hmm. all the guys are just like wandering toward her. Well, it's and it, like at her. all of this episode feels like, which is why it's surprising because this was written by Harley Payton, Robert Engels, right? Mm-hmm. Two people who are very involved. Yeah. So it, but it feels like somebody who doesn't understand the mythology being set up, and now they're talking about like witchcraft, sure, and like devil children, <laughs> and like they're setting up this weird mythology that doesn't match, yeah, anything else, yeah, and it's it's just so bizarre because it's maybe Dick Tremaine would be infatuated in this weird way. Also, he probably didn't go to the wedding. He probably doesn't know who she is prior to this. But Andy and. Hawk and Truman and Doc Hayward? That's absurd. Yeah, it's very It's absurd. And then, of course, Lucy gets all jealous. But, like, none of... Like, what a dumb shoehorn plot line. Yeah, it... it, It's, like you said, it's something I completely forgot about until this, apparently. And they quote Shakespeare at her, which is, um, it's a Romeo monologue from Romeo and Juliet uh, when Romeo first meets 
or first sees Juliet like across a room and she mm-hmm. and he asks about her. Um you know, which isn't even necessarily like a super famous Shakespearean quote, so the fact that like all of those men know it by heart is pretty wild, but well, I don't know what the fuck do I know. Um this this is like the third time there's been a Shakespeare quote in this series. I actually have There's a, one more in this episode even. I have a page pulled up. No, last episode. Ben Horn does an, a second Shakespeare quote. I have a page pulled up of a short analysis. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it is. An incomplete guide to the um, literary references in Twin Peaks. Oh, all of them? Um, like, I, I know Shakespeare's at least four times. But then I, there's, like, Scarlet Letter episode. and stuff like that with Hester Prynne. This but, looks like just season two. Anyway. But anyway, so it's Romeo and Juliet. Um, Lucy enters, answers the phone for Andy, but he does not respond because he, like the other men present at the station, are transfixed by Lana, who tells him titillating stories and drinks milk. Yeah, and Andy has a pitcher of milk for some reason and pours her half a glass of milk. It's so bizarre. It's very odd. And not in like the fun, quirky, bizarre. Yeah, it just, it, just it's, it feels out of place. Yeah. Um, Ernie eats wings in the diner and Denise joins him and shows him the photographs along with her DEA badge. Ernie delivers a confession to Cooper and Denise pleading his love for his wife. Any thoughts? No. I mean, that seems pretty... Straightforward. It was a great little intro of showing Denise's feet, open the door, walking in and the heels and... Yeah. And then, Yeah. Uh, James lies awake listening to Jeffrey shouting and glass crashing. Malcolm tells him that they've been living like that for four years and that one day he will kill Jeffrey. And then our final scene, which I really liked. Um, so Betty Briggs is sitting alone in the dark waiting for Bobby. See, hang on. They missed one of my favorite scenes of this episode. Denise and Cooper and Ernie. Yeah, Ernie delivers a confession to Cooper and Denise. Oh, they lump that in with the diner scene? Yeah. Oh, no, that scene... So what they they have the... First of all, the lightning is something Caleb Deschanel used in a previously directed episode uh-huh. by him. Um, so apparently this is just trickery that he likes. It's just <laughs> the flashing blue lightning strikes outside. Sure. But this whole scene of them convincing um, Ernie that they're going to be the buyers that Ernie was supposed to set up. So that like oh. he didn't just coax a confession. They're setting Ernie up for this whole thing of Ernie's gonna tell like they're gonna lead him to the guy selling. I'm gonna be the buyer. And this whole interaction and Ernie's like, Oh well, I I, I did this for my family. And like yeah. he's just such a weasel. Mm-hmm. And the way that, and they're like, I don't care. Right. We're setting this up. We want this next thing. Just tell us that. Sure. And this whole scene is really, really well done. And then he's also so weirded out by Denise. Mm-hmm. It's it's all just a really well orchestrated scene. Mm-hmm. And the lightning is striking and all of it. I love that sequence. And the fact that it got a half a sentence in this write-up yeah. is surprising. Um but yeah, I, I really like the way that whole scene unfolds, the way they work with each other, the way Ernie is is an entertaining character in this scene of the way he's trying to weasel out of things. But, sure. But you're like, we're not even trying to get you on that. Right, right, right. Shut Don't up about, about that. Don't, Don't worry care about, about that. Yeah. We're, we're setting up a future thing. Yeah, it's, it's all really well done. Uh, okay, so we go to the Briggs household. So Betty Briggs uh, sits alone in the dark waiting for Bobby. Uh the room is lit by a large white ceramic owl lamp and intermittent light, uh, lightning strikes. Bobby walks in. Which is also killing power for some reason. Yeah, at one point the power flickers. For, yeah, it flickers a couple of times of like the light actually goes out and comes back on. Yeah. Um, I really liked this interaction with Bobby and his mom. It. We don't see it very scene. often. Yeah. I think it, like, Dana Ashbrook was so good in this. And like, yeah. Every time you give him an important scene, I think he does a great job with really it. Really good. I It's the silly, like, flippant stuff with Audrey that isn't is great. Even some of the Shelly stuff, but like these moments with like his mom, his dad. Yeah. Are He's all a really great good. dramatic actor. Yeah. And he Yeah. Um 
I also love that like she's sitting on the couch, so she's pretty low, and so he's like crouched on yeah. the floor, even lower than her. Like uh-huh. it just shows that like is prominent as a figure Bobby is, and how little we've seen Betty Briggs. Yeah, she's still his mother, yeah. and she's still the guiding you know right. force in his life. Right. It's all really really well staged. It's well lit. It's well shot. All of it. Um. And I like there's a part he lights a cigarette and that kind of gets addressed later in a way that I like. So well, because the last time he lit a cigarette in front of his parents is when uh, Major Briggs slaps him in the face, right. and, and it flies out right. and lands in the meatloaf. Right. Yeah. Um, so Bobby reassures her that the major will return. Um, Bobby tells Betty about the major's dream, um, and she he kind of recounts that conversation that they had and together. Yeah. So good. And. Uh, and a lot of that is going to play mm-hmm. in season. Like, I love that those like those are the moments they decided to dive into for season three. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, Major Briggs has returned, and he's dressed as like a World War One fighter pilot. Like he's got the <laughs> yeah. aviator hat and yeah. like the white scarf that Snoopy I, wore. <laughs> I wish I had more detail on this, but from what I remember, I don't know where I read it. Saw it, heard it, whatever. But apparently they got that wardrobe somewhere and they thought it would be cool. Mm. But it's like three sizes too small. And so they did this scene and he's like, can't breathe. So they Is were that why to, he takes it off? So that's, yeah. Like, so he still, he rips the hat off really yeah. quickly. But he's like, he, it's basically like suck in as tight as you can. Uh, we're going to zip it up. <laughs> we're going to zip it up. Hold it as long as you can. So he delivers like one line. And then it's like all close-ups where he can like, unlo- but like oh, they wanted funny. that one cool shot, and he's just like, oh, and it looks great. <laughs> in like suck it in, yeah. hold it, hold it, hold it, and they do that whole sequence because it was just way too small. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Betty runs over, hugs him. Bobby come. Bobby like panicked, puts out his cigarette. Like no, and he d- tells him he's like Bobby, would you put that cigarette out? Oh, like, I didn't. I didn't like, hear that. Immediate, part. It's like the first thing he says to Bobby is, "Oh, put the I missed that." Out. I just because I just like the way he put it out and put it out like so thoroughly, like not yeah. just like yeah. kind of stamped I, it out, but just like well, so they like the the beauty is like they're like, "Oh my God, you're back!" And he came back so normal. He came back as Bobby. Would you put that cigarette out for me? Uh-huh. And also, Bobby, would you please go give me a? Uh, I think maybe a stiff one, please. Yeah, like so matter of fact, but also like, whoo, that was a journey. Yeah. I was just and on. he asks how long he's been gone. Yeah. That's the first thing he says, I think. How long was yeah. I gone? How long, yeah. Um, ask for a strong cocktail, they hug, and that's the uh, end of the episode. Yeah, I... I just... It's it's so bizarre, because we spend so much time with James and Evelyn, mm-hmm. with Nadine in high school, with some of these people. We get all these great... And maybe that's maybe that's why it's so interesting... But they just keep teasing this Major Briggs stuff mm-hmm. and never get into it. Yeah. And I, I'm fascinated by it. Yep. I'm really interested in that stuff. And maybe that's why I'm still so interested is because they never go into never it and they it. never ruin it. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's – but with how much time they spend with James and Evelyn, cut that in half and give it to, to Major Briggs. I want to hear everything about Major right. Briggs. Right. And even even Betty Briggs and Bob, like I want to know this family. Like, all of this stuff is mm-hmm. great. The stuff of it doesn't even have to be Major Briggs specifically, but his storyline with mm-hmm. with Colonel whatever his name Riley or whatever mm-hmm. his name was. Um, I want to hear about that guy. I want that guy to be a major fucking character. Yeah, you know, like there's so many things that they just. They look down the pipe of like what storylines do we have upcoming. Uh-huh. And they're like, yeah, let's let's take care of these, and they just pick the absolute worst ones. Yeah, it reminds me. God, hopefully this is the last time I bring in law, bring up Lost, <laughs> but like toward the end of one of the last seasons or the beginning uh, in one of the last seasons, there is like one episode where like six kind of secondary characters die, and I, and then and then we're left with like these characters who I hate, and I'm like. Why the fuck did you yeah. have these people and then kill them off and then go like diving for other storylines because you don't have enough to work on? Right. Like that's kind of what this feels like. Of like, you have an embarrassment of riches of really fascinating characters, yeah. Yeah. and you're picking a we woman who's seen, picking up an eighteen. We haven't boy? seen Sarah Palmer 
I mean, we saw her at the funeral episode. Right. And and in that, she's just sitting on a couch grieving. Uh-huh. But she's a fascinating character. Major Briggs, a fascinating character. Log Lady, fascinating mm-hmm. character. We're going to fucking spend our time with Evelyn? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um, okay, so that uh, wraps it up. Any... I, I think for this sort of section of Twin Peaks, I I liked this episode a lot. There were some really standout moments. Honestly, that's... Yeah, it's... I, I always categorize it be... Six to eight episodes are bad. Uh-huh. But every time... Like, when I rewatch them, I tend to... I'm getting better at, at phasing out the stuff that... I know in the end doesn't matter. Sure. So it's getting easier to just focus on the good parts of those episodes and they're elevating them, I mm-hmm. think. So the this episode is one of those that I think this episode is elevated outside of the shitty James storyline, sure. the shitty Nadine storyline or whatever. Even the Nadine scene is great yeah. in this episode. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, all right. So we will be back next week. Goodbye. Oh. Right? Or did you have anything else to say? Oh, I just, you said that weird. Oh, that's just how I talk now. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Forker Creative. You can follow them at Forker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.